This is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast. This Doom Travelers podcast is brought to you by Hipsters of the Coast, your destination for magic news, strategy, and entertainment. And by Cast Haven, where you can build your magic collection like a pro. Visit casthaven.com for more information. Uh, <laughs> all right, welcome to another episode of Doomed Travelers, where we play Destiny and talk about Magic the Gathering. This week, we're going to be talking all about Grand Prix Las Vegas. You may have heard of it. Uh, joined this week by uh, Dave McNasty McCoy, uh, who I'll be playing some uh, Clash matches with on the new House of Wolves maps, uh, and Brendan B. Mac McNamara. Uh, both of whom attended Grand Prix Vegas. I did not make the trip out to the Sin City. Uh, I'm your host, Rich Stein, and uh, let's get uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you guys have you guys win a lot of money at the poker tables. B Mac. Um, I so I played. I got in on Thursday morning, and I played about four hours Thursday afternoon before I went to the site, and I. I was playing like just one two no limit hold'em. So like you buy them for three hundred dollars, and right. I got up with. $660. So that oh, was nice. quite good. Um, that was really nice. It was a good start to the weekend. And That's then I didn't, play, I didn't play anymore during the GP just because I wanted to stay focused on magic. and, and Right. It's, I didn't have that much time. Uh, but <laughs> a, on Sunday, after we got back from our exciting dinner, um, I didn't fly out till mo- Monday morning. So I went and played for another couple hours and made $75 more, <laughs> which is solid. So yeah, was, pays, pays, pays for some of the trip, right? Yeah, Dave, you, Dave you hit any of the casinos? Uh, I lost $2 betting on uh, the over and under of when the waiter would arrive at our table and when our food <laughs> would arrive at our table. Uh, that's the extent of my, my gambling losses for the weekend. Oh, man. That is some, Very disappointing. Uh, I know. I'm terrible that's... at gambling. Like, I know that I'm going to lose all my money, so why, why would I even try? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a fair bet. I, I haven't gambled since uh, I was in Atlantic City a very long time ago. Not the Grand Prix a couple weeks ago, but many, many years ago. Uh, since then, I have not uh, tried very much. The last time I played poker uh, at a casino was uh, on a reservation while I was out uh, in the mid- in the Southwest. And uh, it was funny because it was one of those... They had a house rule, which was uh, if you get dealt pocket aces... Uh, and you get busted, uh, they will give you $100. And I sat down at the table for the day with $100, and I, I was pretty much broke by the time I got dealt pocket aces, and I got busted by pocket queens. And I got $100, and I left with $110 after playing poker for about four hours. So that's, that's nice. the last time I played uh, poker at a casino. So, anyways, enough uh, enough about boring card games like poker. Let's talk magic. Uh, Grand Prix Modern Masters. Uh, I'm assuming your your sealed pools had uh, all the same foil rare, right? No rusted relics for me. No rusted relics. Uh, no. How are you, how how was the experience? How was the sealed format? Uh, I really liked it. 
Um, it's weird because there's so much fixing and there is like a whole archetype for five color. You know, there's a few domain cards like Skyreach Manta, uh, Tribal Flames, those things. And plenty of, there's a couple basic land cyclers and a couple like rampant growth effects and evolving wilds. And so basically almost all the good decks were slow five color decks that played all their removal and all their bombs and whatever other synergistic or solid creatures that they could play. Maybe some card right. draw. Um, I play. I had two buys. I built that that kind of deck. My pool didn't really have bombs, but I had a, like nine removal spells and some decent creatures. Uh, so I put that together, and every round I played against a deck similar to mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. You know, there was a lot of interactive magic. Plenty of room for sideboarding. I was lucky that right. I had like three of the like color hoser sideboard cards. And oh, okay. I, I was just looking over my seal pool now as I'm preparing to write my article for the week and right. kind of seeing like, oh, I actually had like a decent like red-black aggro deck I could have sided into maybe. Mm. Like the round nine I lost to Karn and that's a way to beat Karn. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely, that's like sort of the next level of being a good sealed player is being able to recognize when you actually can just have a second deck that you pull in to surprise people like in a game two or game three. Yeah, I feel like it's it's one of those things where like when you're first starting out as a limited player, you're like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing, so I'm going to build two decks. And then you stop doing that. And then you get much better, and you're like, oh, look at all these different options I have. Let me you know, make sure I've got this extra deck half-built so I can you know, board into it quickly. So it's kind of a weird cyclical thing that happens with second decks. But... Uh, yeah, and it would have actually worked pretty well for me because there's only like four cards that overlap between them. So right. So people would have been totally caught off guard. Yeah, what about you, Dave? How was your uh, how was your sealed pool? My pool was pretty miserable. Uh, yeah. I had an Elish Norn, and uh, that's about it. So I I ended up building a green white deck with Elish Norn at the top, and uh, splashing black and splashing red so that I could have a removal spell or two. Um. It I was, hear those. I hear those are good. Yeah, generally. it was pretty brutal. There was no synergy, very little power other than Elish Norn, and it yeah. was absolutely miserable to play. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, so no, no day two for for you, huh? No day two. Nothing even close to a match win with that deck. Oh so, man, that's rough. Yeah, that's rough. So. And uh, no. Uh, did you did you draft at all on day two? Anyways, uh, I did two drafts. Uh, I thought I had two solid decks. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, it's I. They were both five color decks, and one match I lost because I didn't draw the white for the two white spells in my hand, and uh, the other one I lost to a very very good five color elemental deck. Um, yeah, I hear that that deck is solid. Yeah, I mean the uh, it's it was totally dependent on the smoke braiders. But yeah. but when it had the smoke braiders and online, it was just too, you know it was two turns ahead because it it creates two mana for an elemental. Yeah, spell. of course. It's just really very 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 strong. And uh, yeah, my awesome five color control deck couldn't couldn't get there. Uh, when yeah. you're playing like two or three of those uh, five five four four for three of Rakdos Rakdos Rakdos. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, that card is hard to kill in. Ashen Morgul. Yeah. So. 
card is very good. Yeah, that, card, that card was a beast when they released it. <laughs> well, it's actually an elemental, but uh, good. Well, try. whatever it is, it's, uh, <laughs> it was in. It was. I was. You know, it was one of those things. Elementals uh, back in Lorwyn block just never really took off as a deck, uh, and that's because as good as uh, Ashenmore Ghoul was as a three drop, it just wasn't uh, as good as Bogart uh, Ram Gang. Uh, which you, you guys may or may not be familiar with, but it was basically it was a three three haste for three or a four three, uh, but it had wither, so it you just couldn't uh, block it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it it, it may as well have said uh, three three like unblockable. Uh, but uh, so BMAC, you you draft on uh, you drafted. What do you think of the draft format? Uh, I think it's really sweet. Um, yeah. One one of the things I like about draft formats is just being able to kind of put together interesting cross synergies and be creative and maximize the cards you get so that even if you right. don't just get to draft the nut deck in some archetype, you can still pull it together. Although so, my first draft on day two, yeah. I, I got the nut archetype. Oh, well, that's that's fair. Yeah. Um so 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 in the you know, in the vein of cross drafting, right? pulling different cards across. So if you were, let, let me give you a completely hypothetical scenario, Brandon, and tell me what you would do in this case. Uh, you, you, your pack two, pick one. And pack one, you've got a strong Boros deck. And you open up pack two, and you're going through your cards, you see the burst lightning. Great removal spell. And then you get to the back, and there's a foil Tarmogoyf. <laughs> what do you do? Ugh. I I think about it like long completely time. hypothetical situation, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like, I think that if it's pack one, pick one, you take the Tarmogoyf, right? For sure, because you know, besides you know, assuming that you're not trying to consider value and rare drafting in the abstract because you're in a top eight, I think you still take it because it's actually quite a good card, and burst lightning is a good removal spell, but it's. Not even necessarily a first pick removal spell, I don't think. Um, but if you already have a good Boros deck and you're drafting in the top eight of Grand Prix Vegas and you also <laughs> happen to be among the leaders of Grand Prix points for the year, then the, the winner of that at the end of July gets, or August maybe, gets a spot at the World Championship. Right. And you also could theoretically make Platinum uh, you're already a gold pro, but come on, I it's think, a foil Tarmogoyf. <laughs> I know. Well, well. So I think that you know clearly you want to do everything you can to win the draft, and right. honestly, I don't think the burst lightning. I mean, taking the burst lightning out of the deck, putting it into his deck, is a very small upgrade. It, it is an upgrade, right? Uh, probably. I mean, but like, but I mean, to an extent, he, you're you're also you also have to signal properly, right? I yes, mean, yes. that burst lightning goes a few more packs to your right. And mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, somebody who was maybe thinking of splashing red yes. is all of a sudden definitely splashing red. And then pack three, you get not, you're not getting as much back anymore. Yes, yeah. So I, I think, think there's that a lot is worse than just the loss of value of that spell. Right, right. Because like exactly. looking looking at at the deck that I draft and play in the top eight hypothetically, I'd probably cut like something along the lines of Mighty Leap or yeah. Force, which. In a deck where you have a lot of double strikers and you're just turning your creature sideways and attacking is basically a removal spell anyway. It's yeah, 
Not yeah, quite as good I mean, off trample, but there's there's so much more going on. What about you, Dave? Would you take the full timer go? I think I'd probably be a deer in the headlights and go go to right. time <laughs> on that pick and <laughs> not even see the rest of the pack. So have, have you guys watched the video coverage? No, because it, it happened on video, and uh, and it, he's basically like he's just going through the cards and like going back and forth between the two cards for like the whole whatever 30 40 whatever however much time you have to make the first pick in in a pack yeah. and it's just like hilarious because you're just like and and i mean the commentary is the commentary but like you you're just watching it and it was possibly the most entertaining moment of the weekend was trying to waiting to see what card uh, ended up getting picked, and it's funny because it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, right? Mm-hmm. If he takes the, he takes right, so he took the Tarmogoyf, and clearly everybody's like, oh my god, I can't believe he took the Tarmogoyf. If he doesn't take the Tarmogoyf, everyone's going to be like, oh my god, I can't believe he just passed up three hundred dollars. So, <laughs> I think it was just an incredibly entertaining uh, scenario. Yeah. And, and, uh, and if he if he picks the foil goyf and wins the GP anyway, it's a you know like magic history. Aren't you yeah. supposed to be making magic history at this thing? Yeah, yeah. somebody said that that's, that that Tarmogoyf could. Uh, somebody on the finance blog was like, "Oh, this Tarmogoyf could end up being like a really valuable Tarmogoyf because it's yeah, got I'm, a story behind it." Yeah, I think if if I were Pascal Maynard and I made this decision, like the, yeah. and I believe I think the the reason that he made the decision was primarily because you know he is someone who plays a lot of magic, but has had trouble um, being able to afford going to Grand Prix, and like the five hundred dollars yeah. was actually meaningful uh, for him in a situation, you know, like in a situation like that. If I got that, I would try to like frame it or seal it in some way to like prove right. the authenticity that this was the only foil Tarmogoyf ever drafted in the top eight of a professional event. Right. Ever, you know, maybe another one will happen a few years down the road in the next modern match. Right. Like get it, get the get the ju- get a judge to come over and sign uh, like a, like a statement right then and there, uh, and and then just ship it on eBay, man. Yeah, I, are- I think the, a collector. I wouldn't be surprised if if you could sell that to a collector for over a thousand dollars, maybe multiple thousands, if you. Yeah, I, I hope he does. I hope he. I hope he makes out for it because. Uh, he didn't win the Grand Prix. Uh. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's really funny that, you know, like a lot of pros, I mean, everyone was kind of razzing him and trolling him on the fact that he didn't make the absolute best pick. And yeah. I think it is the, the better pick if your sole goal is to improve your deck for the GP is the burst lightning. But, you know, like one thing I thought about is that a lot of pros will do prize splits with their friends or like they'll right. say each of them will pay 10%. Right, of their winnings yeah. to the other, you know, which helps even out the variance. And if Pascal Maynard is had a prize split with someone else, and then he took the Tarmogoyf, he better split the money, give him ten percent of that money, right? To the person he splits with. But Especially. if if he didn't, <laughs> if he's like someone who doesn't have the advantage of being able to even out the variance with friends like that, it's kind of the same thing because it's worth ten percent of the prize pot. Um, I mean, obviously, winning a GP can get you a little more money than just the prize money, and a few extra pro points could have potentially gotten him a chance at like a world championship and things like that. Yeah. So I think it's not quite really he he was giving up more than than he was, but I also think that 
people vastly overestimate like their ability to even like understand or calculate very very small percentages and whether it's worth it and right like, i think there's so many tiny you know you always say don't do anything to cost yourself the slightest edge cuz magic is such a at the high level at least is such a game of very sh- thin margins but you know there's just so many things that people do like eating a cheeseburger and a giant thing of fries in the middle of the tournament that lowers their win percentage more than not picking up burst lightning does just because it right. you know, mess, with, <laughs> mess with your your body and your ability to concentrate or make you have to go to the bathroom or whatever um and like no one gets up in arms about someone making a bad decision like that or people who go out and party after they make day two on saturday night and then are hung over on sunday which is a horrible play and it's much worse than rare drafting a tarmogoyf in the top eight um that's but, that's for sure. Yeah. I think you know it's it's definitely situational. I think um, it's it's you know it's a marginal it's a marginal thing, and uh, it's it's honestly you know if he need, if he wanted the money then he gets the money. Uh, if he felt he really needed the burst lightning, um, or you know I guess if there had been a better card maybe, or uh, if it had, maybe if it had been the Pro Tour instead of a Grand Prix, right? Mm-hmm. Then uh, maybe it's a different story, but uh, I just think it's a hilarious situation because uh, people made it out to be such a big deal. Um, yeah, we were when we I was at dinner because uh, we were eating dinner during the top eight, and I was checking Twitter and I saw a couple people saying things about like, "Do you take the foil tarmogoyf?" And I was I didn't know if that was just a <laughs> hypothetical question or if it actually happened. And then I found right. out. <laughs> it turns out it actually happened. Yeah, what, I landed uh, yeah. flight this morning. Twitter <laughs> was just ablaze. Have Have you ever windmill slammed a rare that you didn't need for your deck over a, a card that maybe would have been good? Dave, and any windmill slams? I mean, in a tournament that mattered, no. <laughs> what about in a tournament that didn't matter? What's your uh, favorite win? What's your favorite windmill slam? Of all time. I, so, mean, I mean, clearly this is going to be... I mean, this wasn't a windmill slam, but I think this is definitely a pretty Yeah, memorable. I mean, most of my windmill slams that weren't for my deck were in TDL, and they were all hay drafts. So... <laughs> yeah, so I actually did, uh, on the first draft of day two, um, I third-picked an Emrakul. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it really... It, it happened because the first pack of that draft was just really, really weak in general. Like all, like I think everyone who I talked to in my pod throughout those three rounds said that, yeah, after the first pack, no one knew what they were doing because there weren't good cards to take. And so like I had taken a, a Wilt Leaf Leech first pick. And I think that the green white tokens deck is the best archetype if you can get it, or it's at least awesome. And Wilt Leaf Leech is about the best card you can have in that deck. And so I took that and I took like a, nest invader second or something which is also great in that deck because it helps you convoke and all that stuff but third pack like there was not a single card there wasn't even there wasn't a good card for another deck that would make me think about moving and there wasn't even like a playable green or white card the only card i even could take was sylvan bounty which is a good card but not in the tokens deck and so I just took the Emrakul because I'm like, value. <laughs> you know? And then the Silver Bounty <laughs> wield. And so I took it then and didn't play it. But ah, the, I'm that, always that's excited about the lowest to windmill slam cards. Uh, my first windmill slam moment ever was uh, opening a Spiritmonger in uh, 
pack of uh, Apocalypse way back when. I was definitely not in black or green uh, at that time. And uh, I ended up opening Spirit Monger and getting past Pernicious Deed uh, and ended up playing the worst five-color control deck I'd ever played uh, in Limited. But uh, Windmill Slams are fun and Rare rare Drafts are fun. So uh, no, it sounds like Vegas was a great time uh, for everyone involved. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get Matt uh, on next week because uh, he actually enjoyed playing Magic uh, for possibly the first time in, in decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, any final thoughts? Uh, you guys, uh, would you guys go back in two years? Modern Masters 2017. Yeah, uh, it's a nice tradition. It's a fun city to to visit and not have to think about for two years. Yeah, it's BMAC, great. Gonna I- come. Yeah, right, I well, like I going to I'll, Vegas. Have to, I'll have to try to get there. Maybe in two years we'll Let's record this uh, stupid podcast live in Vegas or something. Yeah, it really was amazing like how many people were there. And like I ran into people. I actually met a friend of mine or, who we used to be members of a Final Fantasy message board, like you know, back when <laughs> back when that was a thing that people did, you know? <laughs> like like in the nineties or maybe the early two thousands. Um, and we never actually met, but you know, there was a long tradition at that board of people who would like go to things and meet up and stuff like this. And, and so, and he, he actually works for, for Blizzard now. And so, and he plays a little bit of magic. And, That's and, uh, and, if, if, if that isn't the right way to end the podcast, I don't know what is. Hey Guardians, thanks for tuning in to the Doom Travelers Podcast. You can find more at doomtravelers.com or follow at doomtravelers on Twitter for show updates and other nonsense. Make sure to subscribe to Hipsters TV on YouTube for videos of our previous episodes. And don't forget that you can find audio-only versions of the Doom Travelers Podcast on iTunes. For your host, Rich Stein and Matt the Obliterator Jones, I'm David Bones McCoy. See you next time. Dave, you didn't mention the, the best part of Vegas, which was eating dinner while our while the building caught fire. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. What? Eating building while the uh, eating dinner while the building caught fire. Oh yeah. That's yeah. exciting. So yeah, after we all finished day two on Saturday or on Sunday, we were there was this like British pasty place, which I guess is like sort of like pot pies inside like sort of like a calzone sort okay. of thing. And it happens to be in the same really, really weird, sketchy shopping center as Lotus of Siam, which is like the Thai restaurant that all the Channel Fireball guys swear is like the best place to eat ever. Oh. Ochoa doesn't swear to that because he eats at the best places ever, but but even he says it's good. And so I guess Dave and Hunter's friend Dave, <laughs> yeah, the other Dave, had gone over there on Saturday trying to go to Lotus of Siam even though they, they knew they were about to close. But this shopping center is like this just really rundown, sketchy looking strip mall that's completely full of ethnic restaurants. <laughs> and, All right. <laughs> and, and so we went back on Sunday and Hunter and Dave and Dave went to the 
colonial pasty or whatever it's called, which makes me think of a burlesque show. But <laughs> <laughs> but it, it looked pretty good. But Kadar and I just really wanted some vegetables because it's hard to eat vegetables in Las Vegas. And there was a, right. another Thai restaurant right next to the British place. And okay. they apparently are like a, an award-winning vegan restaurant. So oh, right. and they had like a five-page menu just to, dedicated to vegetable stuff. So even though we both ended up getting a little bit of meat, it was it ended up being really good. But so we're in there, and so we're eating separately from Dave and Hunt, Dave and Hunter, but at the same time next door. And right. Kadar <laughs> Kadar goes to the bathroom like right before our entrees come out, and we'd gotten you know a couple appetizers that were great. And he comes back and he's like he's like oh my my glasses are a little foggy. Like that's kind of weird, and so we're eating, and right when we get our check, like we start noticing smoke, like collecting inside the restaurant, and like there's been banging on the ceiling or the roof, and like suddenly, like three firemen come walking out of the kitchen, and we're like, "What the hell's going on?" So we pay our check because we were like, we were like, "Wow, this is a really good meal." Kadar, you know, went at eleven and four and finished in like seventh right. place or something, and oh, wow. he never even made day two. And he had to win his last five matches of day one to make day two, and so it was a huge, incredible weekend for him. And he and I were just, you know, and I had, I cashed all, so uh, I ended up eleven and five at one hundred eighty eighth. And so we were just having this afterglow and eating this really good Thai food. And as we're paying, we're like, uh, "What is this building on fire?" And like the 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 firemen are talking to the management up front and they're like, yeah, everyone needs to leave. And we're like, uh, so we walk oh, out and we like stick our head in next door at the British place. And it is not smoky yet, but there's also the commotion and the firemen like have been in and out. And so we go and talk to Hunter and Dave and Dave and like they're busy paying their bill while everyone else in the restaurant is just leaving without paying their bill. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we go out and there's like a giant fire truck and like, there's like two fire trucks and flashing lights and like six firemen and Brian Kibler standing dazed on the sidewalk. And, wow. And we were like, uh, we had really good timing, I guess. <laughs> you know? Got to watch the whole thing burn down. Yeah, the, the, kicker, the kicker is that one of the, one of the cooks at the uh, pasty shop uh, had poked his head out uh, of the shop to see what was going on with the fire trucks and came back in. And the other cook asked him, hey, uh, what's going on? And uh, the cook responded, well, I think our building's on fire again. <laughs> again? 